0: everybody welcome back to Choosers of the Slane episode 7 I'm Nate I'm Luke and today we are bringing you a big announcement which is us talking about the big announcement of ninth edition uh-huh. Oh, and there's so much to say. There is a lot to say, and uh, we'll try and keep this episode, you know, to a reasonable amount of time where you can watch it in at least a day. So, uh, why don't why don't we get started? <laughs> First off, they uh, they for ninth edition decided to name nine big things that they thought the community would be excited about. So, uh, we'll we'll just jump in on those and
1: and talk about them after that. Sounds good. I love what they did, that clever nine things. Yeah. So, well, I'll start out here. So number one, they're looking at polishing up the rules, um, kind of clearing up the language, adding extra examples, just making it clearer to understand, um, which I think is extremely helpful because there's a handful of rules in 8th edition that, No matter how many times you explain them, somebody still struggles with them. Um, Then the second thing that they wanted to uh, discuss was Crusade, which is a new expansion to the narrative style of gameplay, allowing you to um, do like extended campaigns with experience points and battle scars, kind of escalation rules, that kind of stuff. The third thing they showed off was uh, changing command points, um, which I think is a huge needed thing for the game uh switching to the size of the battle sets the number of command points for all players as opposed to basing it on how many detachments you can cram into your army um then number four was tanks games workshop has recognized that uh leman russes are rendered useless by a Grot. so they've uh updated the rules to allow tanks to fire out of close combat
0: certainly going to be some interesting changes there uh but yeah.
1: I, yes. I, I think the big one is number five um, oh, I, okay number there five. are a lot of
0: big ones but i think the big one for us especially if you've been listening since we started this uh is number five major changes to terrain and an expansion oh of the Thank terrain you. rules so yes, thank you so much. That, uh, uh, there's a lot to go into there, but uh, we, mm-hmm. we can we can wax philosophic on that in a little while here.
1: Oh, indeed, um, indeed.
0: Beyond that, you know, you heard Luke kind of mention the command points based on game size. They've also indicated that uh, they're going to be working to balance the game at every size, as opposed to it just having kind of a a good feeling point. So, you know, right now that that point tends to be around two thousand points that we see people play. Mm -hmm. but if you're playing smaller games a lot of missions aren't tailored to that a lot of armies don't play so well at you know say a thousand points compared to at two thousand points but others play better in smaller sizes so i'm I'm excited to see them change that um and kind of not necessarily related to point size but related to some of the more tactical depth is changes to the strategic reserves rules and being able to uh to put more stuff in reserve and and you know kind of play around with that a little more i'm I'm always a fan of seeing more strategy get added to uh to the the pre section of things and, and oh, move on indeed that.
1: i'm really happy to see that come back I, instead of just requiring you to have deep strikeable units yeah. to do anything with reserves
0: yeah absolutely
1: uh why
0: don't you take our last two here because there are Ooh. another couple big ones
1: Yes, a couple really big ones. Blast weapons, um, which I think is going to hopefully be the sweet spot in between the folks who missed the blast templates and the folks who understand that the new system needed to speed things up a bit. Um, They're introducing a new weapon type to the game that allows certain weapons to be more effective when fired at large groups of infantry. And then finally, flyers. Oh, they are basically fixing these um the they are adding back into the game the ability for flyers to leave the airspace of the table and return back onto the table later as opposed to removing it as a casualty hand waved as it ran out of gas or it's going for you know uh rearming or whatever and you just lose it now they can leave the table and return and that is a welcome change for folks who've spent a lot of time and money on those models. Indeed. Indeed.
0: So, of course, today we are recording this on the Tuesday after the announcement. So there was also the big Q&A that they held Mm -hmm. based on a lot of the Twitter questions that that went in. Um, So got some more information there. Um,
1: They didn't talk a whole lot about polished rules in that one. Um, well, the big... one thing they d- did clarify on that, though, is that uh, some of the language they're just cleaning up mm-hmm. to make it a little bit easier to understand, to understand, sorry. Um, but they are adding more examples, right? Because that was something that they found um, was was kind of lacking in eighth edition was not enough examples to help people fully understand the rules. And uh, they, they did concede that's going to make the core rules slightly longer than the handful of pages it was before. But I think that's a, a welcome change yeah. for that.
0: The other thing that I was really excited to hear them talk about today was that they were adding a rules appendix to mm-hmm. the back of the core book to kind of answer uh, what they described as those edge cases that you don't see in 95% of your games. Um, I know when 8th Edition came out, uh, there were a lot of questions about how different rules interacted, and they needed clarity, and we didn't get that for a few weeks after the Edition launched. So I'm excited to see that they're trying to head that off as the, at the pass and really yeah, just add that appendix to say, you know what, we get that there's kind of a weird interaction here. It's not worth putting it in the core rules because it's going to make them too wordy, but here's your answer. Just check yeah. it out if it comes up.
1: I, I think that's a great idea, and... And while I do think that eighth edition was one of the best editions of the game mm-hmm. to date, um, it does kind of speak to the unnecessarily unnecessary complexity of the rules when uh, I have a flowchart at the store that walks people through the attack resolution like thing like post-it note by post-it note so that people can clearly see like where do grot shields trigger or where do savior protocols trigger or what's the difference between a lowercase w wound and a capital w wound um you know so i I think that is a good thing you know if their if their goal is to keep the game um you know crunchy and and balanced but also that kind of streamlined that they were looking for when they switched from seventh to eighth Mm -hmm. um clearing up those rules is really important. Yeah. Agreed. agreed. Pistols also come to mind as a thing that requires yeah. a, lo- a lot of education. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: There's just, there's a lot of things in the core eighth edition rules that, um, that seem simple enough when you read them, but then if you actually read them for how they are supposed to work, it winds up being something different. So I, I think just cleaning up and making it clear what the intention is, as opposed <clears> to, uh, especially for returning players, letting people rely on how yeah. stuff worked before and, and kind of coloring their view based on that. I, I think that's going to be really helpful. And examples are probably the best way to do that.
1: I, I agree. And the I'm, I'm hoping, um, I wish I had a quote to use as an example right now, but there's a handful of rules in the 8th edition rulebook where like relevant rules information is split between paragraphs mm-hmm. where it'll it'll say like, here is 60% of the rule and then it'll talk about something else and then it'll give you the other 40% of the rule in the next paragraph. And uh, I, I think that kind of stuff also contributed to some of the confusion because people would it, it kind of uh, encourage cherry picking mm-hmm. of the rules because, you know, you remember a certain quote, you flip to it, you point to that paragraph and then you tell your friend, hi, I won the argument and they might've actually been right because you didn't read the paragraph before it. right um, So hopefully that will help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But I will, uh, I will just be happy to see more polish and see yes. kind of a an updated and, and clarified set of rules. Um, I think there are probably a few things that they can clean up just to make it a little clearer and and maybe make the interactions uh, less confusing, especially Mm -hmm. for new players.
1: Yeah. And I I love that Ninth edition is really kind of 8th revised because it sticks to that living document promise that they made at the beginning of 8th edition instead of just wiping the slate clean again.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, Speaking of big changes to the core way that certain gameplay functions crusade yeah um might actually put narrative play kind of on the map for some people um the a lot of folks at least in 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 my experience running a a hobby shop and also like organizing events and stuff there's there's almost always somebody calling for an escalation league or a um some type of slow grow You know, organized play thing Mm -hmm. Um, or folks want to run through like a series of narrative missions in the shop Um, and having a actual system for that in the rules kind of makes that whole section, the whole narrative gameplay type Attractive to folks who might normally think of matched play as the only way of playing 40k yep. um, because now there's a you know going to be a comprehensive system for how to start with a small force you know upgrade your leader you know what if he's mortally injured you know they were talking about uh, like rules for a mortally injured character getting interred in a dreadnought, yeah, I thought that was you know, really cool um, I, I think that kind of stuff is great. Um, the other thing that i th- I hope um, I really, really hope that they curate this through the codexes or the codices instead of like just the core rule book and then white dwarf articles. I would love to see when they do a ninth edition Space Marine codex, there is like a two or three page spread on crusade rules for the Space Marine codex, so and so on.
0: I, I think you're actually going to see even more than that. Uh, they've they've well, talked a couple times about how, uh, especially in the Q and A today, that crusade isn't really going to come into its own until the codexes start coming out. And then that's, that's where a lot of the content is going to be found for each individual army and the the crusade rules. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. I also really like that, uh, that the way crusade is formatted, at least from what we've been told, it is supposed to be set up. So if you have a friend that wants to play a match play game and they're bringing their competitive Eldar flyers list, and you want to bring your crusade army of of you know, iron warriors? You can bring your crusade army of iron warriors, and you can still have that game count towards your crusade, you know, benefits and your crusade changes and all that. And it's it's still a playable game. It's it's not just a you know just a well you have to play crusade against crusade, and it can only be narrative, and there's no way to interact with any other style of game. So if your if your play group is small in particular, and you've got a couple guys that are really into you know, match play and playing competitive games, and then you've got you know that one person that that really likes the narrative style. They don't necessarily have to exclude each other when it comes to those. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
1: I'm really glad they wrote it for narrative play instead of for match play. Um, that was having run a handful of kill team leagues. Um, one of the kind of trickiest things is balancing as characters get more powerful. Mm-hmm. Like making sure that the players are spending the points on them and you know that kind of stuff yeah um making sure that the lists stay fair in that way and having it in narrative play strips away a lot of the a lot of the potential confusion about well how many points does his special thunder hammer cost well it doesn't cost anything because it's gear you just pay for the guy right you know it it, so that i think that was a, a good idea on their part
0: yeah yeah i think uh this is this is one of those those systems that it's really tough to speculate on because it it could be mm-hmm. a lot of things, um, but I, I think really what it boils down to is that they're adding more reasons to play narrative play other than just you know it's you can play cool missions that are not one sided like it, it gives you mm-hmm. kind of a a campaign feel to it which uh, looking back through many years of of wargaming history from games workshop and from other companies campaigns tend to be a really popular format uh, as Mm -hmm. long as you can get people interested. And so I think a hook like this will really kind of get people
1: into it. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I'm hoping that it is a, like a, as thorough and complete as they are um, kind of pitching that it Mm -hmm. will be. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in the past they've, you know for like stores and stuff they've sold like an organized play pack and you you buy it and really what you're buying is just the swag and the prizes yeah. and then there's like a one sheet pdf of like you could do this or you could just have them play a ladder campaign right. and you're like thanks guys <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so seeing, super helpful <laughs> you know so seeing something where it's actually a, a relatively official kind of um complete system yeah. i'm super excited about that yeah agreed agreed so
0: uh the the next big change on their list command points um i i think i think we can both agree and i think a lot of people will agree as well that the command point system is great in theory and doesn't quite do what it was intended to do in practice Um, if anything it just encourages soupy armies and minimum squads of troops uh so you can farm command points and uh, yeah. I, I think Games Workshop has made it pretty clear, even through Eighth Edition, that that's not necessarily how they intend the command points and the game in general to be played, or how the detachment system was really intended to be used. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what they do in terms of matching it to game size and making it so it's it's more of a a currency that everybody starts on an even playing playing field with, and then spends down to use tactically rather than accumulating to then use during the game
1: yeah i i wholeheartedly agree with that description of it something that has always um troubled me i I love stratagems i love command points i love the idea of a finite resource that you have to manage during the game um you know and the fact that stratagems are kind of like tactical spells so to speak mm-hmm. um i really love that about the game but i hated the tying them to the detachments that you use because having having like tax tactical flexibility and having extra resources to cover your army's gaps should be something that costs a, a general mm-hmm. um you know that's it shouldn't you shouldn't reward a general because he ordered extra tanks right um right. that that's kind of not how resources work <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. i i really like the idea of them switching to it it also you know having being a player who owns you know adeptus sororitas and and um Astra militarum Catachans and also adeptus custodes um there's and imperial knights actually i you know i've got a handful of knights that mm-hmm. i sometimes will bring in um the you just can't you can't see the balance between oh, oh six hundred fifty points gets me a guard brigade six hundred fifty points gets me a custodes battalion of eleven dudes on foot with spears right um, and so you know it, I I think I was talking to you about this a couple of days ago ran the math on it and in a two thousand point army you can get thirty nine command points with a guard army yep and eighteen command points with a custodes army. Both of them are making really cheap selections and not buying any upgrades. But that thirty-nine command point guard army has a hundred and eighty infantry and and like nine vehicles and twenty-seven mortar teams. And yeah, where, whereas the uh, the custodes army is thirty-three guys again with spears. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, and and I'm I'm just really happy to see this change. I think this is going to be huge for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I also. Um, it's unclear whether or not more than one detachment is going to have any kind of cost associated with it. But I really like the idea that they're talking about making, um, bringing forces from multiple codexes, codices, uh, cost almost like you're buying extra relics. Yeah. Um, they haven't, they haven't officially named anything, but they've kind of hinted at like, you got to pay a command point to get access to a different book.
0: Yeah. Um, they they mentioned it a little bit in the Q and a today. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that was one of the things that they said. You know, you, if you want to bring another codex,
1: it's going to cost you a command point. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm 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 extremely happy about that. Yeah. The other
0: thing I thought was was pretty cool to see was they're kind of changing how you spend command points in some ways. So one of the mm-hmm. big ones being that you can, uh,
1: you can spend command points to put things in strategic reserve. I also hope. And I'm hoping against hope here that these changes allow them to eliminate tactical reserves. Um, hmm. i am I am hoping that what they do is something along the lines of your free teleporting in match play yeah. is on turn two or three. Sure. but you can pay to teleport on turn one hmm. or or maybe even say. Um, if you only teleport into your deployment zone, you can arrive on turn one
0: that and makes that sense. way
1: that way, if you get out deployed because you lost the the attacker defender role, then you could be like, you know what? I'm just gonna bring my terminators down on the end of my first be- on my first movement phase in my deployment zone. yeah. Um, just some type of some type of way to to allow more tactical flexibility. Um, Even if that were to cost, I'd be okay with it. Um, But I I would just like to see, um, I think, and maybe this is a little bit of my narrative side showing, but I would like to see, you know, your ability to um, maybe not null deploy, but go back to being able to deploy very little and then kind of characterfully have like a whole unit of Harlequin or a whole army of Harlequins like walk out of the webway on turn one. Or, you know, just because that, that, has like a lot of that the feel of some of the factions of 40k right um, right and i i do think tactical reserves are balanced and i think it was good that in match play they stopped like alpha strike deep striking mm-hmm. i'm i'm 100 percent behind that but if we're gonna if we're gonna go into a world where we're we're shaking things up i would like to see some kind of way that even if it costs you command points you could bring in terminators on turn one or or something
0: yeah yeah, i uh, i like I like the idea of if you're going to say deep strike or teleport in or whatever the mechanic happens to be on mm-hmm. turn one that it has to be in your deployment zone or maybe even on your half of the board. Um, yeah, i I, I think uh, not being able to just deep strike turn one, you know, nine inches away from enemies and, and yeah, charge right yeah, away no. was was an important thing.
1: Um, I I will agree with that. I'm I'm, I'm not looking to you know crash into the enemy on turn one or anything but there's plenty of ways to
0: do that already so
1: yeah um i just uh um having played a handful of like the smaller elite armies Mm -hmm. now and granted some of this is going to be addressed just simply by um kind of what i alluded to earlier of them them adding strategic reserves back to the game allows you to Protect some units without being forced to pay the premium of buying somebody who can teleport right it allows you to protect some of your cheaper units um, or some of your maybe less specialized troops Um, and uh, I would would just like to see um, when somebody plays a smaller more elite army if you do choose to put one or two units in deep strike to be able to tactically react to the game in a way where you don't feel like you're getting shot off the table because you know a third of your points cannot show up for another battle round yeah um i i don't want it to be free and i don't want to break you know i don't want to have somebody figure out a way to have corn berserkers all deep strike nine inches away on turn one <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> not yeah. look not cool. looking for that or anything um even if it was just something like you know you had to stay 18 inches away on turn one or something you know just something yeah um it would be nice to have a reaction to it and i think that would be best done with a stratagem like charge command points for it. If yeah. you have a unit, a unit in tactical reserves, you can spend two command points or something to grab them on turn one instead of waiting. Yeah, I think that, that would sense. be neat. But anyway. Yeah. So,
0: kind of moving on from there, one of the the mm-hmm. next points that they make in their their nine nine great things about ninth edition uh, is is kind of a big one, and that's tanks in combat. Um, oh yes, and it, it's something that seems like a, a pretty good size change, but I think in practice is actually going to kind of radically change the way a lot of armies play and the way a lot of units are used.
1: I agree. I don't think people fully appreciate the footprint that's going to leave in yeah. the game. Yeah. And
0: I mean, if it were just tanks, it'd be uh okay. Yeah. That, you know, that is a big change, but the fact that uh, in their Q and a, they also say pretty much what tanks get monsters get. Um, mm-hmm not to use too fine of a pun, but that's a game changer. I mean that's yeah. th- that is a that is a massive system change um, and, and it really even is if the, the core rules aren't you know gonna take up that much more space. What we've basically seen with this and with um, with some of the other stuff that they've announced is the addition of at least a few universal special rules back into the game system. Um, mm-hmm. you know monster and tank. Aren't necessarily just a keyword anymore. They actually mean something, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they uh, they have an interaction with the rules. Likewise, flyers and blast, uh, which we'll, mm-hmm. we'll touch on in a few minutes here. Same same kind of system there, but uh, I think the big the big thing with tanks is we can both agree vehicles uh, vehicles have uh, a lot of pressure put on them to pull their weight. In in any game, just because they tend to be more of a point sink, and mm-hmm. they tend to be uh, less points efficient than a lot of infantry units in most codexes. Um, okay. Agreed. So I I I'm kind of hoping that this will, um, this will free up the design team. This will free up list building. This will free up uh, just your your general army setup to kind of utilize more vehicle heavy armies without feeling like um without feeling like that you've you've got the rock and if you run into someone's paper then you might as well just not play the game
1: agreed um and i know in previous episodes we've actually discussed like firing arcs Mm -hmm. and things like that Mm -hmm. we recently just had a conversation before before all this about uh um what we thought it would take to make like you know make tanks great again you know yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we were we were just kind of spitballing ideas like increasing their saves or you know introducing you know firing arcs and facings back into the game mm-hmm. or, and i think a lot of people felt feel um or felt like the the change from armor and hull points to having a standard stat line um really made vehicles more vulnerable and they didn't really get a lot that change um and I personally love that the vehicles are running on the same like operating system as other units are, but there are unintended consequences, like yeah. shadow swords being able to fire their their fixed the whole fixed mounted weapons behind them or um or kind of the weirdness of uh, a tank that has historically been more heavily armored in the front and lightly armored in the rear now just being kind of the same stats no matter where you come from Mm -hmm. there were tons of unintended consequences in addition to the threat that vehicles faced from just small arms fire because you can bury them in dice now where you couldn't before um and so i'm really hoping that this this is something that can add back to the to their value that this to me almost feels like the thing they should have added when they change the vehicle stat line in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we might see more tanks that are not repulsor executioners um, in the game. The uh, the other thing that I am personally a little curious about is I can't, and maybe you heard something that I didn't. Um, I'm not sure they've been really clear on whether or not the tanks can fire into their own close combat or they can just fire as if they're not in close combat? Uh, they have not been clear on that as far as I'm aware. Okay. I did, that's what, cause I, it, it just in one thing they said that they can fire while in close combat. And mm-hmm. then in another thing, they just kind of descriptively um, explained. Yeah, if you get tied up, you can just blast those guys off your tank and keep rolling. Right. Um, and so I, I was like, oh, okay, now which is it? Is it that tanks basically function like pistols if they're locked in combat, or is it that they're all like bane blades that just don't care whether you lock them in combat or not?
0: That, that would be my
1: guess. Is I'm hoping that's what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's my guess. Um, because otherwise, you still run into the same issue of great. I've got my. And my Lehman Russ that is uh, that is swarmed by Tyranid Rippers, and I really <laughs> would like to shoot its battle cannon at that Carnifex, but I guess I'll shoot it at the Ripper swarm. Yes, I'll shoot it at the ground right in front of me. <laughs> right. So I'm I'm hoping that that's how they do that. Um, yep. I, I think. Uh, sorry. Go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, you're fine. Uh, kind of along those lines too. They mentioned today that they're gonna there's going to be some changes to Overwatch. Uh, mm-hmm. didn't really expand on what that was going to look like, but it seemed like if anything, it might wind up being a little less deadly, uh, was the impression I got. And so more importantly, I'm so. yeah. And, <laughs> and more importantly, uh, apparently it's, it's going to be made harder to fall back. So yes, I, uh, I think this change to tanks and monsters being able to shoot while still engaged in close combat. Um, I think that dovetails nicely with, it being harder to fall back because mm-hmm. realistically there's not really a good reason for 2 grots to make it so if i roll backwards with my Lehman ross i can't shoot with it um yeah but it's also not that difficult for them to keep up with it so you know it, not not having as easy a time falling back but tanks being able to shoot because realistically they don't care about the you know the the couple of guys that are standing around the sides they they just, Mm -hmm. you know they can keep trying to run them over in combat but shoot other stuff when they're not i mean that that, i think that all works really nicely and i think we're going to see that that really makes vehicles and um non-close combat monsters uh just overall more prevalent in the game and
1: Mm -hmm. worth their points um yeah, Tyranids really took a hit when mm-hmm. their when their artillery critters were functionally useless. Yeah. Um that so that I'm I'm excited about that. Um as a you know, talking about the um, fallback thing, they did allude in the Q and A to it being uh, potentially stratagem based, mm. where um, where you can like spend command points to either prevent people from falling back or like make them make a test, right? Um, to do so because they they vaguely hinted at um, using command points to do that, yeah. Um, and I'm hoping what that means is the game will have more universal stratagems than like three or four yeah i'm i'm hoping there'll be like a one or two page everybody can do these things right right and
0: i think the the ability to uh influence your opponent falling back and and either prevent or at least make them you know kind of not be sure that they can fall back um, Mm -hmm. I, i think that's a a really powerful and interesting ability i mean you see a lot of a lot of drukari lists when they bring you know small units of witches their primary purpose is you know four witches and then one with a Chardonnay and impaler and they're yeah. just there to make it tough for stuff to fall back so you can charge into yeah. you know whatever even a, a tank a great example of why tanks should be able to just shoot in combat my five witches yep. shouldn't be able to charge into your land raider redeemer and just go you're not going anywhere so don't bother using those flamestorm cannons
1: yeah and and i also think that you know some armies are much better at like tripointing and locking in a unit than yep. other armies are mm-hmm. and if um if they have the ability to Move those type of things into stratagems yeah. or into command point expenditure. It kind of levels the playing field for armies that maybe only have uh, custodes. Again, for instance, yeah. like you know, many of your custodes units are only like three models. Yeah, um, exactly. And so the ability to to keep people in um, keep people in combat without having to bring ninety Gretchen to circle the unit or you know. 10 crew to circle something. Right. Right. Um I also um and this this is a little bit of wish listing, mm-hmm. but when it comes to tanks, you know, we've heard a lot of people talking um at the shop um like on our facebook page and stuff or messaging us talking about you know when are we going to reopen for games and that kind of stuff and as soon as 9th 9th edition got announced that conversation switched to you know what what rules are we going to get you know and what do you think it's going to be and and like half of the people bring up tank shock yeah it's 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 just like half of every 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 thread changes to tank shock at some point yeah and uh um what i am hoping and this is this is entirely wish listing and speculation i am hoping that instead of returning a tank shock that is like a almost like a charge attack mm-hmm. i hope that tanks or vehicles in general get a alternative to falling back that's called something like rolling forward where they can just drive forward through a unit that tar pits them and then maybe have like a um on a six plus they do d3 mortal wounds or something yeah. like something where it's like you know what if you want to tie up my tank you go ahead and try but it's a Lehman rust and it's just going to roll forward and it doesn't care mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i would love to see something like that as to kind of a nod to the old tank shock rules you know the whole death or glory that that all that whole system before that where uh you know you tie up a t- or the tank would charge into a unit and somebody could stand their ground and get a free shot in on the tank yep. And yep. if it was something where the tank could actually aggressively leave combat. I think that that would be flavorful and also something that vehicles could yeah. could use to to get on the map again. yeah but that i I want to preface that it is not based on any rumors, that is not based on any leaks that is entirely me just hoping that they do that yeah, and i
0: I would agree with that. I think it's a it just adds a nice narrative element to it, mm-hmm. um, and it it makes tanks feel for lack of a better term, tankier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not just boxes with guns. They're actually, you know, giant, you know, giant chunks of metal or plasteel or wraithbone or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. using that weight is enough to, to cause some damage.
1: Yeah, and you, you see you see bespoke rules like steel behemoth mm-hmm. and you read it and you're like, oh, it, it moves and doesn't get a minus one to shoot or you know, grinding advance like, oh, this gun shoots twice, like you know where is the this is a giant adamantine brick and it's rolling down a hill (laughs) you know like where's that rule (laughs) yeah it's
0: so Um, like bane blades i think represent mm -hmm. that really well with their adamantine tracks melee weapon but Mm -hmm. other tanks are still pretty big they they should be able to do some damage not just on a six plus to hit
1: yeah you know and you get like the sisters forge world repressor that hits on a five because it's meant to like um you know it's got that dozer blade that's meant to be like a riot control device or whatever mm-hmm. and it's strength six ap minus one one damage but it multiplies attacks like the stompy feet on a knight. right like why does why does a rhino chassis have a, a snowplow that does that whereas like a uh Lehman russ can't just drive over people right,
0: right. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't put a dozer blade on a chimera or a Lehman russ
1: and be able to do stuff like that you know it's yeah yeah that that rule could have been um, you know when they when they eliminated things like immobilization tests and dangerous mm-hmm. terrain and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff they could have made dozer blades do exactly that it's yeah. a it's an attack times three ap minus one uh weapon skill plus one upgrade yeah and you just put it on any vehicle you know yep. or
0: something or uh a, a, you know when this vehicle charges when you finish the charge roll roll die for each model within an inch of it on a on a five plus that model or that model's unit takes a mortal wound or whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever yep, it winds up
1: being. So, but yeah, something they dropped the ball on that. So yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to see that they're adjusting tanks. I'm, I'm happy that they're adjusting monsters. I'm mm-hmm. not happy that that includes the riptide, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: points rebalancing.
1: Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. But hey, um, you, you mentioned dangerous terrain uh-huh. and, uh, and our next uh-huh. point to talk about is terrain. So I, th- I, th- I think that's a good I segue. Th-
1: I thought we'd never get here. We're here. We're here. Uh, oh, this is, this is my favorite place. Yeah, go for can, it. Can we stay here? Uh, for a little terrain. while. Terrain. Ah, uh, geez, terrain. So in their attempt to streamline 8th edition and make everything easy, a ball that they, they admitted themselves that they dropped mm-hmm. um, at the Saturday reveal was yep. they made terrain way too simple. Um, and boring. And yes. And so not only um, was it frustratingly, plane, but also there's like, you know, 15 or 12 or something different official terrain kits that all have their own names and keywords. And when you look up their rules, it basically says it's a ruin but this. Or yeah. treat this exactly like a ruin and this. Or, you know, or there's completely nonsensical things like the the Sealed Frontieris building, which is the um out of one of the kill zones for a kill team. Hmm. Um has on the roof, a barricade. And then the data sheet has a rule that says, if you are on the roof of this building, you cannot receive the benefit of cover. But the model has at the front of the building, a barricade. Makes a lot of
0: sense. (laughs) You (laughs) know, so,
1: yeah. um, So that just, I... I could rant for hours about how the terrible terrain rules of eighth edition have affected so many games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, early on in the edition trading shots between a big mech with shock attack gun and a tri stalker or a doomsday arc or something that were on opposite sides of the table, shooting at each other through the, like a single window yep. on a, on a ruin right in the middle of the table. And, uh, um, Neither of them were getting any kind of negative to hit or plus to their save, even though they could see like a centimeter of each other. Yep. Um, it's just I get simplicity. You, you know, seems faster, but uh, it doesn't doesn't help if it doesn't feel good. And the terrain right. rules for Eighth Edition did not feel good. Um, and what they talked about on the uh, initial launch in in the Q and A was just much more clearly defined interesting like redone from the ground up terrain rules mm-hmm. um they talked about pieces of terrain that will obscure line of sight completely um taking kind of a nod from some of the competitive formats out there where there's like a keyword or, a, or like an ability tag that that terrain pieces will have called a, i think it's obscuring or obscured or something th- like that. i think they called it obscuring but Yeah, and and so that entire terrain piece blocks line of sight. It doesn't matter if it's got windows, it doesn't matter if it's got holes in the wall, the the terrain piece blocks line of sight because maybe there's smoke coming out of it or maybe it's, you know, the whole thing is falling apart. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that's the type of simplicity that would have been better for the game. Like make the terrain interesting and cool, but just make it a very simple, like it does this instead of, if you're in cover, you get cover, and also not, which is pretty much how complicated Eighth terrain rules were. Right,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I. Uh, the one thing that I, I found kind of interesting, and I'm I'm hoping that this was stated this way intentionally, as opposed to just b- being kind of an off the cuff remark. But they mentioned in the Q and A today that there will be different kinds of cover. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. wondering if we're going to go back to seeing the, well, if you're in X, Y, or Z kind of cover, then you get plus one. If you're in, you know, A, yeah. B, or C, it's plus two to your save. Um, I, I think stuff like that, it relies on people defining things before the game. But, I mean, I would argue that it's good practice to just agree on that stuff with your opponent before the game anyway. So that way there's no hard Absolutely. feelings.
1: Well, and and that's that's something that at least in our local meta that we've always done is mm-hmm. you know the, the game starts you just go okay forest forest ruin hill you know barricade it just t- it takes like fifteen seconds and you just point everything out on the table everybody agrees on it and then you know going forward what it is and yeah. and I think um, nothing about that requires that the terrain rules be remedial
0: no um, as, no, as
1: long all. as everything is as long as everything is clearly defined and I think that's. Um, I'm really really excited about this like I can't yeah. um, I cannot speak to how that that is the thing I'm looking forward to most in mm-hmm. ninth edition honestly is mm-hmm. just to see what they do with terrain um, I'm also really curious if they're going to do something that I've been wanting all of 8th edition which is the separation of cover and concealment so instead of just obscuring where it blocks line of sight I'm I'm wondering if certain terrain pieces might give minuses to hit that'd be interesting um,
0: It'll be be so. very interesting with the, uh, with the revelation today that they're going to be capping modifiers mm-hmm. to plus one or minus one. Um, but it'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with things. Uh, certainly will change the, the face of, you know, a lot of lists, especially ones reliant on flyers.
1: Yeah. And, and along those lines, and this is a, this is slightly tangential, but, uh, um, you know, they capped the the modifiers that you can get to plus one or minus one net um, modifier. And they also introduced the kind of city fight style lucky sixes mm-hmm. where um, just like ones always fail, now sixes are always going to succeed, um, at least within whatever, you know, whatever uh, rules mechanic that that applies to. Like mm-hmm. it might just be attack rolls and wound rolls or it might be... Um, all die rolls—they—they they weren't clear, but that sixes will always succeed. And so I'm—I am really intrigued by capping modifiers at one and also making sixes always succeed. Um, I wonder if—if if sixes were always going to succeed, if they could have capped it at two, just so that armies could um, still have that kind of characterful ability because of the fact that everybody. Um, is always going to hit on a six, regardless. Right. Um, may- maybe that's just me. Uh, I have off and on for years wondered why. Uh, many editions ago they didn't switch the system to a d10 based system instead of a d6 based system because mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do with a six sided die. Right. Um. And I and I I get that feeling a little bit about capping the modifiers at one. Is if the modifiers are capped at one, you're taking away another thing you can do that differentiates things when you only have a random number generator of one to six. Um, But I do think, I think capping is awesome. I think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. I think that armies were completely, they were, they were able to just abuse that. um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, insanely. So I I don't know, like, I'm, I'm not saying I think capping it at one is a bad thing. I just I wonder if capping it at two would have been okay if yeah. sixes are always hitting.
0: I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out in practice. That's yeah, I that's agree. That's for sure. I, I think that's gonna be a tough one to that's gonna be a tough one to do anything more than speculate wildly on without yeah, a- without seeing a- what the rule actually looks like. Um uh, And but,
1: once they do ninth edition codexes to modifiers, if they're capped at one modifiers might get a lot more rare right, anyway. Right. And so. I
0: I know over the course of the past probably year and a half of eighth edition, there's there's been kind of a shift more towards uh, making that that stacking penalties to hit in particular a little tougher mm-hmm. to do, um, yeah. and I think that a lot of that came from you know early on seeing. Uh, the absolute dominance of a uh, lay talk flyers and, and that kind of list where it just, yeah. it doesn't feel good to play against because yeah, that's true. Your, your opponent doesn't have to do anything other than pick the right units and pick the right, uh, the right, you know, craft world chapter tactic, whatever. And all of a sudden their army becomes 33% more difficult to hit. You now
1: it's oh, just, yeah. well, I, I still remember the sting of, of figuring out, one time I was playing Orcs before the Codex, so mm-hmm. Daka 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 wasn't a thing yet. And uh, I was at the shop, and um, somebody came in and set down an uh, Eldar, a Latak, and Corsairs list mm-hmm. with the Forge World Corsairs. Mm-hmm. And everything, all the Hornets and all the Fire Prisons, and uh, basically everything they had, their uh, Wraith Fighters and everything, yep. had the the upgrade, the, what is it, Backward Engines or know the the one that the one that gives a minus one to be hit if they advance yep yep and so and then they uh, ran all of those vehicles in craft world delay talk and then just took the minus one um to hit with every all of the the assault weapons that were mounted on all the vehicles and mm-hmm. they just advanced every turn and I'm sitting there with an orc speed freak army going awesome your army is untargetable because yep i need every unit in my army but the grot you know this grot right here <laughs> yep. you know or whatever like it was a it, no it wasn't a grot it was like a uh big mech with a git finder or something There was like one model in my army that could hit things on a six and everybody else needed a seven plus so i was like this feels awesome yeah. thanks
0: yeah I, as an eldar player i can say before the codex came out um, um when some of the rules in the edition or in the index even were not necessarily as, uh, as clear or as restrictive. Um, there were a couple of times, especially with Rangers where I could just see an opponent being like, wow, this is, this is dumb. This isn't even fun <laughs> anymore. You know, I, my, my dudes because of penalties and everything literally cannot hit any of your troops. Um, and when the LA craft world benefit, dropped in the codex it it was one of those things where it just got worse so i uh i am i'm glad to see them doing that capping it'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out um but kind of on back on the the terrain side of things there was Mm -hmm. there was one thing they mentioned in the q a today that i think uh i know i was very happy about and i'm pretty sure you will be too because we've we've complained about this to each other in games many times and that's uh levels of things like ruins and other terrain are going to be a lot a lot less impactful on what can fight and what can't so no more Mm -hmm. no more my scout is on level two of the ruin and your imperial knight that towers over even the top floor can't hit him because (laughs) terrain
1: yeah yeah like literally my weapons are like at the level of your guy but Mm -hmm. i can't charge you in close combat. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and they tried to fix that with uh with the knight stratagem that allows you to, you know, spend command points to attack a building basically. But yeah. um it was cost prohibitively expensive right. and um and silly. Um <laughs> I, I I would have much rather seen a stratagem that allowed a knight to remove a terrain feature from the table right. Than, right. than the stratagem that they had. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and like they said in the Q and A today, you know, you have things like hive tyrants or flying <laughs> hive tyrants. Like what what are you gonna it, it can't fight it because it can't fit on that level of the ruin, even yeah. though it's literally eye level with the with the guardsmen that are in there. Like it just it it leads to a lot of feels bad moments, um, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like they're really trying to minimize those with some of these
1: changes. So I'm I'm yeah. looking forward to that. I'm I'm really curious how they're going to do it. Do you have a guess? I have a guess. Um, I mean,
0: I I would guess that things with the titanic or monster keyword either will ignore levels of ruins or will be able to um you know be able to fight against a certain number of levels or they they might add back in vertical you know vertical fighting um -hmm. i would guess one of those would be the main thing but what do you think
1: i'm thinking it's going to be um a vertical coherency thing yeah it'll be it'll be like barricades where you know barricades make the one inch bubble into a two inch bubble Mm -hmm. um i i think it's going to be something like if you can get one level away then the bubble becomes like five inches or something like it'll be it'll be something where the hive tyrant is actually like out in front of the building on the ground like Ripping load-bearing members out of the buildings so that people are falling. And, yeah. you know, um, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be something like that. I don't think it's going to be um, treat everything in the building as if it's on the ground level. I don't think no. it'll be like that. Yeah, um, I, I don't they'll either. they'll still have some benefit for climbing up into the third floor of a building. Yeah, you know, or something like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, and that's how it was. Uh, what was that fifth edition? I don't remember if it was the same in sixth or seventh, but I'm pretty sure in fifth it was you had. Uh, you fought within an inch horizontally and up to six inches vertically. Um, if that they sounds were on a different familiar. level.
1: Yeah. Um, and with their official kits, that basically meant you could fight one floor away. Right. Yep. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm super excited about that. Yeah. Um, Cause that's, that was one of the most frustrating parts of terrain. Yeah. Just when you saw things like, like with Triptide,
0: you know, where great, I'm up against Imperial Knights. Cool. I'm just going to jump him up into the top floor of this ruin because it has fly and now your knight can't mm-hmm. touch me. Yeah. It just it just didn't it doesn't feel good. It makes fly even more powerful. Um I, I I'm had, glad to see it change.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh we had a um there was this was maybe a year ago we had somebody come in and wanted to do a bunch of practice for an ITC event. And so we had a bunch of our our um more competitive players kind of line up and just run this dude through a gauntlet. And uh, there were some really frustrating interactions where, cause he was doing like a loyal 32 and Imperial Knights kind of, you know, the, yeah. the standard of the time yep. and uh, two of our competitive players that were just couldn't um you know, weren't, weren't tuned for that kind of list started using terrain shenanigans to just shut him down. Yeah, There were like, there were two buildings on the table that functionally had no line of sight into them. So they just moved their infantry into them and stayed more than an inch away from the walls. And then the knights, all that he could shoot at them were his mortar teams. And it just, the game, the game shut completely down to mortars, your turn, mortars, your turn. Um, Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. It just is not, that's not a great experience for anybody. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, I think there's a lot of things we could talk about with terrain, but yeah. we're, we'll have to, we'll have to kind of curtail this discussion. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more about it though. That's for yeah, sure. Me too. Um, kind of moving on to our, our next point though. Game size. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this, this is a big one for me. Um, because a lot of times I don't, I don't have three or four hours to put in for a game. Um, mm-hmm and as much as i would love to it's just the way it is a lot of times um so to be able to have a balanced feeling game at a thousand points or 1200 yeah. points or whatever might be the case as opposed to feeling like if i'm playing less than 1750 it's it's not really a game of 40k uh, that's i think that's a big deal and i'm i'm really hoping that uh that as optimistic as they are about this being a change and being a successful one, I, I hope that pans out. Uh, I agree. the The thing that the thing that I found really interesting about it um, was that game size will affect command points, which I think makes mm-hmm. sense with the way they're doing this. But that's you know that's nice to see because um, that that means they thought about okay, what other how are resources going to be used in these, and what is yeah. having too many resources do to, to unbalance the size. But the other thing being that. Uh, individual missions are suggested for certain game sizes. So the, the yes. read I got on this was basically, if you're playing 500 points, you should use these missions. If you're playing 1,000 points, you should use these missions. If you're 1,500 or more, these missions are going to be the ones you want to use. And yes, I, I think that's a great idea because we've we've probably all had the experience of, you know, I want to get a quick game in. Here's a 1,000 points. We'll roll a random mission. Oh, the way this one is set up, it only works if I have at least 40 you know 40 models on the table well i'm playing mm-hmm. custodies in a thousand points so i have seven
1: yeah or you're playing a uh say you're running an a, a Astra militarum army mm-hmm. and um you're playing a 750 or a thousand point game and then the mission that you roll up is big guns never tire and yeah. you're the only player that brought five heavy support choices
0: right right
1: you know because you're the only player who can afford five heavy support choices in mm-hmm. 750 mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um so I, I absolutely agree um one of my favorite ways to play um don't get me wrong i i enjoy the 1850 1750 2000 yeah. i enjoy those um probably that's probably the sweet spot for like a competitive game is mm-hmm. the um the near 2,000 point mark. Um, But I do occasionally enjoy the 2,500, 3,000 point games. Sure. Um, But what I really, really like are 750 and 1,000. Um, Yeah. Because a 750 or 1,000 point game, you can get two games in, in the time that you could get one game in Mm -hmm. of, you know, 2,000. And I think that anytime you can play a game to its end. Yeah. um, And you can get more games in in your time, switch up opponents, do things. I think that's good. Yeah, And I agreed. think that um, balancing the game for that is going to be so much nicer because mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've sat down to play a 750 game. And like you said earlier, you know, based on the mission that gets rolled up, you're like, cool, I, I have to play to kill, yep. which is one of the, depending on your opponent and whether or not there's drinking involved, playing to kill, <laughs> you know, playing to kill tends to be, in my opinion, one of the less interesting ways to play. Like Oh I, yeah, I don't, absolutely. I I don't want to just deploy and then try to shoot each other off the table. Yeah, it's great um, for teaching people how to play the
0: game, ab- so they absolutely. get the core mechanics. But
1: absolutely, um, no mercy is like my favorite training mission. Yeah, you know, because it's just because you can just like let's learn the rules. Your objective is kill. Yep. But um, that's not my favorite way to play. Right. And when when you play a small game and you roll, not like one of two missions mm-hmm. um you end up basically going well because i chose to play my you know uh space marines today or because i chose to to bring Custodes instead of dark eldar i pretty much have to just try to kill the other guy because right i can't hold the objectives or i can't achieve this goal um and that doesn't feel great
0: no no not at all yeah it's it's something that uh i i'm very hopeful about i hope it uh i hope it really kind of pans out and winds up being a uh as good as it sounds so yeah i guess we'll uh we'll see on that but kind of along the lines of those missions too i thought it was really interesting to note that um that they specifically designed the new missions and consulted tournament organizers on the new Mm -hmm. missions to make sure that they are better suited for competitive play
1: I yes, I saw that as well in the Saturday initial announcement. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, guest speakers, or I guess not even a guest speaker anymore, um, one of the speakers was the gentleman who kind of heads up the Nova tournament. Yeah, um, and and he has been brought on as the Warhammer community teams. Like, I, I didn't, I don't recall his exact job title, but it's functionally like head of organized play. Yeah, um, and uh, he has been. Uh, one of like involved in playtesting since before eighth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, written tons of tournament packets for the, for the Nova open. Um, and in that interview, it was danced around, but basically implied that not only was he brought on to help, you know, kind of, uh, help Games Workshop maybe go to war with some of the existing competitive formats that are mm-hmm. out there, yeah. but also, but also that he had a hand in the the finalizing of the missions that are in the core game. Um, to that it was it was talked about in that interview that <laughs> that he helped, um, and that was very um, that was very heartening for me, um, just because one of the things, and, and this is me as a tournament organizer and a store owner um it is always frustrating when you you say i want to run an event and half of your player base says ITC isn't real 40k and the other half of your player base says might not be real 40k but it is the it's the standard so right and then you don't know which one to do um and i i really feel like a lot of those formats came to be because games workshop years ago backed away from holding their rogue traders and backed away from holding their grand tournaments yep. and so somebody had to step in and fill that void and they did um i would really like to see it go back to a, a standard yeah um I so that it could just be like we're running a 40k tournament well what kind of tournament a 40k tournament yeah um and so i'm, I'm really excited for for that aspect of it
0: yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I I miss Rogue Trader tournaments. I, I thought it was agreed. That was really my first exposure to tournament play, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm I'm hoping we see kind of a more standardized. You know, this is what this is what the official competitive 40k looks like. Um, yes,
1: I, I would love that. I, I can't um, say
0: I can't say nothing against the ITC format because I do have some gripes with it. I I see the need for it. I, I see why they did a lot of what they did. I don't begrudge anybody who enjoys playing it. But it's um yeah, I, I will freely admit I'm one of those people that says, yeah, like it can be fun and everything. But the way it interacts with the game changes mm-hmm. how things are balanced a little bit too much for my tastes.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I I struggled with was you know games workshop has been trying harder throughout throughout eighth edition to like pay attention to the competitive scene for the curation of point values mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. and when the majority of the competitive events globally are using these alternate formats that you know secondary objectives and things like that yeah. change what units are good with games workshop listening to the competitive community that means the points are being curated for a format that's not even the main game and so you have you have units becoming more expensive because they're good in the itc and then they become unplayable in regular casual 40k Mm -hmm. because they cost 15 points too much you know or um and so i just that's that's something i would like to see and i and i'm with you in the in the respective i've tried um i've tried a lot of you know, let me really chew on the ITC format. Let me really do this, and 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 I'm I'm intrigued by maybe traveling, going to some tournaments, and yeah. playing ITC. Um, and I do I think there's a lot of great ideas. You know, the I like that the secondaries add like a meta level of tactical, mm-hmm. you know, planning. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, for the health of the game, I I don't know that I can get behind a format where i mean the missions are where a good chunk of 40k the game lives right because even though the core rules run the math the missions are what the game is and if the missions are these different things with a different way of earning your victory points and all these secondary objectives it changes what's what's useful it changes how units interact with each other what's beneficial Mm -hmm. um and i don't know that it's healthy for the game overall
0: yeah yeah, and I um, I think in the Q&A today they they made a really interesting point and
1: I I hadn't
0: it made sense once they said it. I hadn't really thought about it enough to look at the game this way, but uh the 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 rules writers today talked about how every standard game of 40K really has four players. Uh you've got mm-hmm. the two people who are actually playing the game, you have the terrain and you have the mission. Uh, yeah. And and those you can't control three and four you have to adapt to three and four and so the yep. idea that um to kind of continue the analogy there uh, if you're playing itc you know your fourth player has a different version of the rule book. yeah and, and so it just yeah. kind of a lot of times it, it it just affects things
1: more than it should in my opinion you now and well i agree I, I agree. It also has a an unintended impact on like local communities. Yes, because if the majority of the content on the internet to consume is say ITC or ETC or WTC, whatever mm-hmm. you know, whichever pick any random format. Mm-hmm. Um, if the majority of the YouTube stuff is going to talk about that format, new players are going to watch that. And if they're, if they have a competitive drive or if they kind of lean that way, mm-hmm. they're going to start building their army around it. And then if they go to their local stores and their local stores are not running ITC events, they, there's going to be, you know, bad feels there. Because there's going to be like, well, I brought a bunch of mortar teams because of Magic Boxes and the store's like, yeah, we don't use that rule. Right. Um, right. You know, and then the person's like, oh, well, crap, I would have brought a Lehman Russ if I knew, you know, and, and yep. I think that's that's the one of the unintended consequences is it it is um like college football versus nfl football for american audiences where like they're they're basically the same game Mm -hmm. but enough little rules are different that if you only ever watch one and then you watch one game of the other you get super confused as to how (laughs) a certain thing happened or and it's the same thing you know you if you're if you build your game around itc and then show up to a tournament that's just running maelstrom missions mm-hmm.
0: oh yeah that's it doesn't work No, that's a huge huge difference so, so. yeah that uh it, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out that's that's mm-hmm. another part you know as, as excited as i am about the terrain changes i'm i'm probably almost as excited about seeing how the new how the new quote-unquote mission pack plays out so, yeah um, I'm, I, I'm looking I, I think forward that's... to to that
1: Um, that's definitely something to watch
0: yeah so it's in terms of strategy and everything though um and and changes to more of the rules you know the these last three points um are all they're all basically changes to how some of the rules works one of them uh one of them in terms of strategic reserves being more Mm -hmm. uh more tactical the other two being more functional um uh, so strategic reserves we we covered it pretty well i think earlier they they didn't say mm-hmm. a whole lot more um you made an interesting point when we were talking about this earlier today though that the way you had interpreted uh one of their comments was that the later in the game your strategic reserves arrive the kind of further behind enemy lines they'd be able to be able to deploy and
1: um yeah I, it it did sound that way now i i could be it could have just been um kind of flowery descriptive text but it it, it sounded like there is one cost to place a unit in strategic reserves and then the longer you hold them there the deeper onto the battlefield they're able to enter Mm -hmm. um and there had been a rumor uh running around the internet between saturday and tuesday when the q a was about um that it would be like, whatever the cost to put something in reserves, so what it would play out is if they showed up on turn one, they walked on your table edge in mm-hmm. your deployment zone. And then on turns two or three, they could come in on the side, but not in your enemy's deployment zone. And then if you came in after that, you could do the old fashioned outflanking where you came in on your enemy's side of the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and obviously that is, you know, that's rumor mongering and, and speculation, but, but that, their comment today kind of, I guess, maybe reinforce that, or perhaps I went into it with like a skewed perception because I had heard that rumor. Sure. Sure. But yeah, it, it sounded, I think it was Stu that said it. Um, it sounded like he said, you know, you could hold them in reserve, you know, come in on the sides of the table or if you hold them long enough, you could outflank your enemy. And it was, it was like a, it was some statement that implied that time mattered
0: right right I, I have not gotten a chance to go back and watch the the video um, the recap I, I watched it live but I haven't gotten to see the the recap itself but I, I want to go check that out because I, I think that would make for uh, even more tactical depth and really make it um, make it more interesting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, I know I know you and I have talked about this before that we both think one of the you know one of the best parts about wargaming in general and and because we play 40k mostly about 40k is uh, when you're playing being able to uh, play a game where you're forced to make interesting choices Mm -hmm. Um, and and i think that really just amplifies that that part of the game where you're saying okay you know oh you know my opponent held his squad of 10 death company in reserve until turn three are they going to you know they're not in deep strike so are they going to come in behind my lines how do i adapt to that is it going to mess up you know my castle in the back with all my buffing or is he coming on the side and he's gonna mess up you know the 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 spearhead that i've thrust forward you know it it just it it adds another layer of depth that i think uh i think makes the game better in the long run and raises the skill ceiling if that makes sense
1: It does. Um, And there's, there's two things that I think of based on what you just said. And the first one being, I mean, I know I tend to lean more in the competitive way, but I do enjoy like the narrative and Mm -hmm. the cinema and the kind of epicness of, of the story of what's going on. And there is a degree of drama to, I sent my troops around behind, and they're not there yet. Right. That, you know, it kind of feels like you know you've got your cadetian colonel screaming into his voxcaster like, you know, where is my, you know, unit of veterans? And they're like, you know, we're still we're still by the bridge, sir. We're pinned down. You know, it just it, it yeah. just adds yeah. that kind of feeling of they can't sneak up behind you yet because they're they're not there yet. Right. Um, right. And I think you know even though I do tend to lean more on the on the competitive side, like I still enjoy that. You know, if I, if I, if I wanted to play a purely competitive game, I'd play chess. You know, I still like the, the, uh, the immersion. And I think that rules like that, where not only, um, not only is there that meaningful choice of, of, you know, you have to wait for the best benefit and then, you know, where's the sweet spot between you know, uh, well, I got to go now, even though I'm not going to get what I really wanted. Right. Um, you know, versus waiting and getting what you wanted. But I also think it just, it creates that immersion. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of silly in previous editions, when you had units like Crute Hounds that could outflank, where you would hold them and then, you know, in turn two, they would just walk on your enemy's deployment zone. Yes. And this is in pre- previous editions, like, well, how'd they get all the way over there? You know, they're not, they're not teleporters. They're not, they, don't, they don't get dropped out of an airplane. You know?
0: right, right.
1: Um, so, I, so I think there is a, a degree of of kind of cool factor there. And that's the first point. The second point, and this is more of a tactical thing. I am hoping that there is a way for you to bring strategic reserves on in your opponent's backfield, mm-hmm. because there is. While it is a good tactic, there is nothing interesting or fun about four hundred chaff infantry spaced out by two inches apiece covering their entire backfield. Screening, yeah, and uh, um, and so while screening is still going to have a tactical use to to deflect deep striking if you can hold a unit or two of close combat guys to come in behind enemy lines if you have that like widespread screen you're basically inviting an unfailable charge Mm -hmm. because wherever they walk on the table they've only got a roll of four or whatever the i mean granted the, the outflank may have a restriction like you can't walk on within nine inches or or whatever but you're you're essentially covering your backfield in in stakes on the floor waiting for the wolves to come along you know right and uh and that i think will perhaps force people to make more meaningful choices as we said before Mm -hmm. about do i want to cover my entire backfield or do i really only want to screen what i have to right right um And so I'm that, cause that is something that's just, you know, when you're, when you're setting up deployment, I I totally get the tactical reason. I totally get why guys do it. But when you're watching somebody just set like guardsmen, two inches, guardsmen, two inches, Mm guardsmen, two inches, you're like, cool, I'm going to go get a sandwich. I'll be back in a little bit. (laughs) You know, it's just, I, and it, it just looks weird on the table too when you see a unit of like thirty pox walkers strung across like fifteen feet of table, you know. <laughs> it just looks weird. And it and it makes it,
0: the game slower. And it leads to you know leads to kind of kind of some odd odd ways of of playing things where you're doing stuff like taking cheap characters just because they basically make an eighteen inch zone of no deep strike and Mm -hmm. rather than using them for their auras and using them for their abilities they literally just hide behind cover or out of line of sight or whatever to keep things from dropping in too close to your your guys
1: in the back and it oh yeah it just kind of eh. yeah i've been absolutely guilty of that with my ad mech army because the you know the secondary hq choice right pretty much every battalion is a tech priest engine here yeah and in most cases because I run Mars and I, I tend to have a backfield castle and a moving castle, but in most games, regardless of who my opponent is, it's tactically valuable to just measure nine inches diagonal in from each corner of the table and then hide a tech priest behind a piece of terrain. Mm -hmm. And then I just screen out a nine inch bubble on both sides, on both of my flanks. And it was like, Oh, there was 60 points. That's cool. They weren't going to fix anything anyway. Yeah. Like I, I have absolutely been guilty of that. And I, while I'm doing it, I'm like, I wish I didn't have to do this, but I do because I'm playing in a tournament. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> or whatever. It's a valid tactic.
0: <laughs> it's just it's one of those things that in terms of f- feeling good, it tends mm-hmm. to not. Uh yeah. Both as as the player and as the opponent.
1: Yep. Oh. I agree. So hopefully strategic reserves will help kind of deal with some of the goofier, you know, interactions. Yeah. um you know i mentioned the like eight foot wall of pox walkers earlier you know the if you if you can get one end of the wall on one objective and the other end of the wall on another objective, you can just start removing the casualties from the middle and you're going to hold both objectives all game because you've got you know and they you split can't the they unit. can't
0: move at that point
1: yeah yeah you know and so it's just like those kind of silly things yeah might happen less um yeah. if if somebody can charge in from the side of the table
0: right so right
1: um and then back to uh you know back to the list of of, of changes to the game blast weapons mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things that people have complained about the loss of blast templates about yep. is how people place their units and how how like in in previous editions, you had to be more careful about where you put your your guys mm-hmm. um, and when when the game shifted to just randomly rolling things um yeah, the game got faster with the removal of that mini game, and I'm and I'm betting across the board arguments have decreased by a measurable percentage. Sure. Um, but that's another thing that has to do with like some kind of silly placements for units and stuff are mm-hmm. a consequence of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um and also it doesn't feel great when you're when you're looking at like a Lehman Russ battle cannon or a uh um the Conqueror. No, is it the Conqueror? the long-barreled one the anti-tank one that vanquisher. only shoots once vanquisher thank you mm-hmm. um so you've got the vanquisher cannon that's supposed to be the anti-tank round and it only shoots once and it does slightly more damage and then you have the the what used to be the large blast template battle cannon And you're looking at it stat-wise going, okay, I might as well just shoot the battle cannon at the tank because I'm going to get a random number of shots because it's supposed to explode big and kill more guys. But really all it does is make it more efficient as a tank hunting weapon than the variant that was supposed to hunt tanks. And and the only solution to that in the current system would be to make the tank hunting one ridiculously strong. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with balance issues with, okay, now this gun is too powerful. Yep. So that going, you know, if they're not going to put blast templates back in the game, which personally, I'm glad it doesn't seem like they're going to, um, I like the idea of a new weapon type mm-hmm. that lets Tau sub munitions and Lehman Russ battle cannons and uh, rapid fire battle cannons on Imperial Knights that lets those type of weapons really do what they were supposed to do yeah yeah um
0: yeah i I agree with that um i i liked blast templates a lot but they definitely slowed down the game and i i think um i i I can't say i miss them in the sense that i think the game would be better with them they uh they were fun but they also they caused arguments and they they Mm -hmm. slowed stuff down um the biggest the biggest thing being especially if you were playing a horde army you know whether that's tyranids or orcs or in a lot of cases even guard uh you know you had to be so meticulous about you know spacing your guys as maximally as possible Mm -hmm. without losing coherency because oh that's my opponent's got a flamer template you know he's gonna you know drive up and and hit me with that and if i space them right i'll take 4 hits if i space them wrong i'll take 16 you know it's just yeah i i appreciate how much quicker it is and the fact that a lot of times it just looks cooler to see a blob of you know 60 termagants running up the board as opposed yeah. to them being spaced out very carefully in ranks so that way you know it just it it fits better it makes for a nice a, a nice look um so it's it's i think it's a good change and i'm I'm glad to see that not only is are they coming up with a way uh, or coming out with a way to kind of bring back some of the feel of templates and the feel of anti-horde weapons but also um that they're they're going to be you know assigning that rule as necessary from the start and then as new codexes yes. come out that they'll be you know they'll actually have the weapon type so that's that's a um a, a welcome change in my book um but one that they haven't talked a whole lot about which uh, i'm looking forward to seeing more of kind of along the lines of of the last point they make which is flyers uh, basically all we've heard is they don't die when they go off the board i mm-hmm. i'm not sure what that looks like beyond there you know is it yeah. is it kind of like it used to be in what 6th and 7th edition where <clears> there was sort of a, a mini game involved um uh, is it just uh, if they go off the board, they can come in again on your next turn from your deployment zone? Do they have to come in from the board edge? I, I'm not sure. It's it it, it it's yeah. been like a footnote on all the, the points, mm-hmm. and there weren't a lot of questions asked about it today either.
1: There weren't. Um, I, I wonder if everybody is assuming that it's just going to go back to they reenter reserves. Yeah. Um, if be. that's the case, what happens if you fly off the table on turn three and then it rolls over to turn four?
0: So in the current system that would be fine because it deployed initially so it, it can come on in later turns it's not considered automatically destroyed. It's true. Uh, I,
1: unless it's worded as that returns to tactical reserves. Right. But, and then yeah. yeah,
0: then it would be oh boy. I don't even want to think yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um regardless but flyers cleaner more polished rules. <laughs> yes, exactly. Flyers <laughs> flyers not you know, just randomly dying because a millimeter of their base couldn't fit is a welcome change.
1: Yeah, and I also think that it um, it also removes the need. I, I don't know what they're going to do rules-wise, but mm-hmm. it removes the need to be like a stickler about whether or not the wing is hanging off the table.
0: Right, right.
1: If the planes can leave the table again, then we might see it go back to just, just make sure the base is on the table. Yeah, which I think um, makes which, sense. Yeah, which I think is is it's just easier. Yeah. Um, also, it's easier to get to your troops around your flyers in your deployment zone if you can <laughs> yep. back the flyer up a little bit.
0: Yep, exactly. Um,
1: so we'll see. What I'm wondering is, is it going to be flyer-specific or are... Um, are other units going to be like, I, I wonder if other units will gain the ability to like walk off the table and enter some type of reserve or, mm. you know, just I wonder if it if it opens up that precedent for future like special rules, you know, like a slime, sure. a slime Arbo, a slime arbo or, or commandos or something where or like the in seventh edition, there was that piranha formation where if the piranha's Uh, if if a single piranha survived and it flew off the table on the next turn the entire formation could return to the table at full strength Mm -hmm. and it was it was one of the it was one of the seventh edition crazy kung fu hong kong action theater version of 40k special things yeah but um but just the idea of like does that open the precedent up for there to be units that can like advance off the table just to get away from the enemy and then you can redeploy them later in the game somewhere else because they snuck around or like i think the 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 fact that if they give that back to flyers it just opens up the potential for cool bespoke rules for future units
0: yeah because yeah, I think because that would it would be interesting to see too
1: yeah um you know something like S- slime arbo where he can what is it fade to the, fade into shadows or whatever his yeah. power is or, yeah or that would be an awesome Gene Stealer cult thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Go back into cult ambush or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and again, they have not said anything like this, but right. just if they remove the precedent from the game that flying off the table kills you, it, it potentially opens up the creativity to say that other things could leave too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. The the blast weapon type and the um, the flyers are definitely... Two of the things that don't seem like such a big deal, but also have not had a lot of information leaked about them yet, or yeah. revealed about them yet. So I'm I'm interested to see what more we we find in the the coming, you know, the coming weeks. Um, but that kind of does it for our list of nine, and we're we're definitely stretching long here. Um, to to wrap up, why don't why don't we take a guess? I know I've got my opinion based on what they've said of when we can expect to see ninth edition coming out, but what are your thoughts?
1: Mid June. Or, sorry, not mid June, mid July. Mid July. Um, I think it's going to be mid July. Uh, um, They, in the first thing, they said um, that it's a couple months off. And then they uh, made it a point of saying this summer at another time mm-hmm. um which could potentially be as far back as like you know august or early september but i just for whatever reason um i think they are going to want to get back on the release schedule they had originally planned mm-hmm. um because they have to they have to recover from this covid stuff like everybody else does yep. Yep. and we see um coming up in the next week the the ad releases. Might have been a two week release cycle that would had have been the shutdown guess. not happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my guess is that from now until mid July, we're going to see really aggressive new releases mm-hmm. and they're going to try to hit fourth quarter, um, back on their original plan. Yeah. And so that's, that's my personal guess. I think maybe. Maybe it'll be August, but I I think we're going to see it in mid July, mm-hmm. so that they can actually just get back get back on track and then and then finish the year out the way it was planned before COVID. That, yeah. That's my personal theory.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's probably uh, probably pretty accurate. My my thought, um, and this this might be a little. This might be even a little more aggressive than they'll go, uh, but I, I could see them saying, you know what, we want to get this get this pushed through. We want to get, um, you know, you mentioned the, the quarter. They want to get it out as early in the quarter as possible. So we've got Engine War and all the ADMEX stuff coming out uh, on the 6th of June. So um, going up for pre-order on the 30th of May. Uh, sorry, coming out mm-hmm. on the 5th of June, going up for pre-order on the, the 30th of May. I would not be entirely surprised to see um, War of the Spider and Fabius Bile go up for pre-order uh, on the, what is that, 13th? Um, you know, they come out. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Go up for pre-order on the the 6th and then see Pariah and the new Illuminor Zeres go up for pre-order on the, what is that, 13th then? And then have them announce pre-orders for uh, for ninth edition on the twentieth to have it launch the first week in July. Um, that may be true. Though, um, I know
1: with with eighth edition they did
0: two weeks of pre-orders. Right. That's and that's why I'm thinking if they start the pre-order on the twentieth, that would give them two weeks of pre-orders. Um, the <laughs> only the only thing I'm not sure about is uh, that that first saturday in july that those pre-orders would go up is july 4th so in the u.s of course that's a a holiday um sometimes they shift stuff around based on that sometimes they don't so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but I i would agree i will be very surprised if we don't
1: have ninth edition in our hands within the next six to seven weeks yeah i think we'll probably see um kind of like with eighth edition week by week we're gonna see like this is the new this phase this mm-hmm. is the new that phase mm-hmm. this is the new you know terrain this here are some examples of that um so i if you look if you look at how the the game is traditionally laid out you know if you're like okay there's a movement phase a shooting phase there's the charge phase and the fight phase there's the morale phase then you got terrain and now you got new weapon types that's seven weeks yeah so, um, now if they were to say vehicle changes is an eighth week and maybe that talks about flyers and tanks and monsters or whatever, you're looking at eight weeks. And right. so, um, if they're going to do it, like they did eighth edition, where they spotlight something every week on Warhammer community, there's not much time before they're going to run out of things to spotlight.
0: Right. <laughs> and and I think, I, I think this will be a very aggressive, uh, timeline hmm. Purely because of how many weeks of releases they lost to, yeah. uh, lost to the you know the lockdowns for COVID and and all that.
1: I think that everything that we would have seen split over two weeks is going to get crammed into one week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we may—I don't know this for certain—but I think we may see like one or maybe two weeks of Age of Sigmar. But I don't think we're going to see much Age of Sigmar until ninth. Yeah, I think it's just going to be they. they know nothing against the fantasy lovers out there. I mean, I enjoy Age just Sigmar myself, but mm-hmm. like they know where their bread is buttered um, and they've got to make up for, you know, two months of business. So I, I have a feeling that uh fourth quarter might be where we see a lot of those like light elves and all that stuff that yeah. was previewed earlier in the year. And we're just going to get 40 K crammed down our throat for the next two or three months.
0: Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I, I think that kind of fits in with, with how they did things last year with uh, with the Age of Sigmar kind of second edition revised, whatever they decided to call it, release. Mm-hmm. Well, that was last year, right? 2019? I think so. Yeah. Uh, where we basically had two months of just Age of Sigmar releases and maybe like a one-off 40K character special edition model or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was almost all Age of Sigmar stuff coming out for malign portents and... Uh, and you know new new stuff with that so i i think we'll probably see something similar this year um i agree but but either way i will be i will be absolutely shocked if we have not seen ninth edition out for play uh by the first week of august yeah that that would would be surprising yeah
1: um Um, i don't know so it'll be interesting yeah i know we need to bring this to a close Mm -hmm. but i'll ask you in one sentence yeah of just total total wish listing total speculation. What is one thing you would like to see changed in Ninth Edition that is not addressed in the uh, in in the release information? Ooh, one thing they
0: haven't talked about. Um, mm-hmm. mm, do you have something in mind?
1: Pistols. Just straight up, like I, I a lot of the things I wanted to see in a in a revised edition. Mm-hmm were at least tangentially talked about um i want to see pistols either uh written more plainly clarified or just made better um i just think the the being forced to shoot at the closest target and also being segregated from other firearms where it's pistols or Mm non-pistols and then you have to fire at the closest target i Mm -hmm. think that is uh too restrictive for the benefit of being able to fire them in close combat um, so I personally I think that they need to simplify that and maybe yeah. loosen their hands on the reins with pistols. That's my that's my wish list kinda kind of thing is that I wanna see pistols able to fire into and out of close combat at any target that's within range. Because if you can't shoot anything else, if all you can do is draw your pistol, you should be able to shoot it at anybody within range. Right. Right.
0: I agree. Um so one thing I think I would I'm not even sure what change I want to see at this point, but I would like to see something change in the way character targeting works. Um, Yeah, I it just they're they're with all their their announcements and everything. It seems to be they are working hard to remove those feels bad moments from Mm -hmm. the game. And one of the worst when it comes to especially teaching new players how to play is when you go, okay, here's my dude and here's my other guys and they're going to go up and do that thing and now it's your turn. And they go, okay, well, uh, I'm I am going to shoot your Farseer. Okay? You can't. Why not? Because he's not the closest unit. He's the only thing I can see. Yeah, but there's a squad of rangers on the other side of that wall that are invisible to you. I can't see anything else. Great. Right so I can't shoot with these guys. Nope. Nope. It just, it, it's not fun. Like it's just not (laughs) fun, especially for people just learning the game. I mean, I, when I was teaching my wife how to play, she looks at me and goes, that is one of the dumbest rules I've ever heard. And I went, (laughs) yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, it's just, if there's a guy standing out in the open, it doesn't matter if you know there's a unit of scouts that are three millimeters closer, shoot the guy you can
1: see. Yeah. Well, it doesn't make sense not to. It, smite handles it pretty well mm-hmm. you have to shoot the closest visible target right um and, and just you mentioning that character rule that's another thing that that really jams people up with pistols mm-hmm. is if the character is um standing right there like six inches away from you mm-hmm. here is like their army leader and you know you know i've got this this person with like a melted pistol or whatever like oh no nope i can't shoot can't shoot him he's not the closest target. well, who's the closest target? Well, the closest target is is that you know those rangers behind the wall, mm-hmm. and you're like really so you're going to say that these two characters who are both like heroes of their respective factions, standing twenty feet away from each other cannot have like a cowboy shootout right because there's rangers on the other side of the wall right. you know so and i know that the character rule is really the one that's doing that it's mm-hmm. not the pistol rule but just the fact that like pistols are so short-ranged and they're so expensive and they're so cool mm-hmm. that like the character rule even makes them suck even more <laughs>
0: yeah well, and i think a, a great example of that is you can see that in the raven guard uh supplement mm-hmm. or in the raven guard army um you know as, as someone who's working on a raven guard army one of the weirdest things as i was looking through it was going wow there are multiple pistols that are either relics or pieces of war gear that you know that shrike has or whatever might be the case that because they are pistols and they also have basically the sniper rule that they can target characters even if they're not the closest like they might as well not be pistols anymore they might as well just be assault weapons because yeah sure okay you can't shoot them when you advance and if there's not a character nearby you can't target you know you can't target something that's further away but why why do pistols have sniper rules and why is it necessary for
1: pistols to have sniper rules to make them do interesting things it's uh, yeah yeah so so i i I would i would agree i think that's a good i think characters and pistols i think are good good things to hope for yeah Um, so it'll be interesting to see yeah we'll see yeah um so we're hoping uh, we were going to try to do some tactical discussions about other factions besides sisters of battle, but they kind of blindsided us with talking about a new edition. So a little bit, kind of, kind of feels like maybe that's less useful now. Um, I mean, so what we would like to do um, in, some episodes that we're hoping to get up soon the uh we're going to talk about some broader game tactics um things that are not specific to factions so we've kicked around the ideas of maybe doing a deployment conversation or a um a uh Pre-game, you know, discussion on, uh, you know, how, what's smart as far as how many relics to buy or things that are like kind of agnostic to the various factions. And if we, if possible, I mean, I know stratagems are going to get weird, but also to have some discussions about things that are agnostic to system, um, kind of general game tactics or, you know, we're forcing your opponent to make meaningful decisions, things that we've referred to in a lot of our conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're hoping to get you some, some videos about those kind of tactics since, um, may not be super useful to break down how a an eighth edition codex works right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So and, um, and it is worth noting that the codexes for the time being are going to still be usable when ninth edition comes out, but because of how significantly parts of the system are going to be changing, it's it's mm-hmm. just it's too it's it's too late in the cycle and too difficult to speculate. Uh Accurately to put together a good tactical discussion of you know what's what might be good, what might not be good, uh, that is still going to be relevant two
1: months from now. So. Exactly, but we want to make sure we bring you something that is relevant, so yes. we're going to stick to to kind of the greater, bigger. Bigger picture tactics that could really apply to any miniature war game. I mean, it's obviously going to be 40k centric yep. um, from how we're coming at it, but uh, just things like how to deploy smartly, how to um, you know maybe uh, be organized, how to better better show up ready to play, so that you're not wasting time in little you know little side actions or inefficient you know model positioning or just things that things that might help you just be a better player in general so you can look for that coming from us soon um, and of course we're going to be watching the warhammer community site like hawks to uh to come to you with conversations like this about any new information we learn about ninth edition absolutely um, thanks for joining us now we know this went a little bit longer than we were planning but there was a lot of good a lot of good stuff to chew on so. oh yeah absolutely, absolutely.